If you're able to stand, please stand for the reverence of the Lord as we join in hearing his word. Our Old Testament reading is coming from Genesis chapter 9, verses 8 through 17, pages 7 in your fruit Bibles. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offsprings after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the living stock, and every beast of the earth with you. As many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall my flesh, shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I may make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have, sent, I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all the flesh that is on the earth. Our New Testament reading is from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 22, pages 1016 in your pew Bibles. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey. When God patient wait, waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through waters, Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers have been subject to him. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good morning. It's good to see everyone. Uh, and it is my honor to bring the word of the Lord this morning. So please, if you would, bow with me in prayer for the word. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you, our Lord, are sovereign. 
We thank you that you are almighty and that, Lord, you are always watching over us. And so, Lord, we have confidence as we come before you and you give us hope for you are not far away. And Lord, you do hear us when we call. And Lord, you desire to guide us through your word. You desire for us to live according to your will and that that will is not hidden or secret, but that, Lord, we are able to live according to your will, Lord, as we hear from you through your word. And so we pray that this testament, Lord, your living word would now guide us. Help us, Lord, not to be distracted, Lord, as we hear your word, but let us worship you by wholly devoting ourselves to the hearing of your word now. And we pray all of this and ask it in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. This past Wednesday was Ash Wednesday, as many of you know. And Ash Wednesday, of course, uh, begins a 40-day season of Lent. And in Lent, uh, we especially prepare our hearts in, in anticipation of Holy Week. And so uh, Lent finishes on Palm Sunday, and then we enter into Holy Week, where we, of course, have Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, and, of course, Easter. Easter is every what we're looking forward to. And so it, this time, we especially remember Christ's suffering for us, his temptation in the wilderness, and how, as P Paul says in Philippians, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And this is what we are reminded of, especially during the season of Lent. So in the season, we proactively seek to participate in Christ's suffering. We do this by maybe fasting, or maybe by giving up something that we love, or maybe some of our everyday comforts. And we instead spend more time in devotion through the word and through prayer. But Lent isn't just about giving up chocolate or not watching your favorite TV show for the next 40 days. But Lent is a reminder that if Christ suffered, that we as his followers will also suffer in this life. The season of Lent is a reminder that as Christians, we will face trials of various kinds and encounter suffering because of our faith and our devotion to Jesus Christ. This is the reality that as Christians, we must always face and we must never forget. Because unfortunately, we live in a country where it is easy for us to forget this. It's easy for us to live as a Christian, and not have any cost. For most, there is no imminent danger for following Christ like there is in some other countries. In fact, we live in a country where we're actually protected against religious discrimination by law. And we live in a country that protects our freedom of speech and protects the right to our privacy. So in theory, we can work, and play, send our kids to school, and even go to church on Sunday without ever feeling any type of discomfort or any trial. And it's even easier now 
because we don't even have to go to church to attend church anymore because we can just watch it online. We can practice our faith individually, privately, right, the American way, and never ever have to face even the smallest difficulty because of our faith or our identity in Christ. So, we might become complacent or forget the trials and the suffering that are part of our Christian life here on earth. And the scripture clearly points to this adversity and persecution and the suffering that we will endure, those who love God and follow him. Not only this, but throughout scripture, and especially in the New Testament, suffering because of our faith in Christ is actually deemed as something that's good. It's something that Christians are to expect. It's something that Christians are to rejoice in and not fear in. And as Peter states in today's New Testament passage, in his preceding verses, in verses 8 through 17, Peter says that when people persecute you because of your faith in Christ and cause you to suffer, he says we should bless them. We should be prepared to give a defense of the reason of the hope that we have in Christ. And we should do good. And then he gives us an example of Christ who also suffered for sins so that he might bring us close to God. Now, in this brief passage that we read today, this New Testament passage of uh, 1 Peter 3, it is jam-packed with all kinds of theological debates and issues and different interpretations. And even uh, the great reformer, Martin Luther, says concerning this text, he says, this is a strange text and certainly a more obscure passage than any other passage in the New Testament. I still do not know for sure what the apostle meant. Now, of course, Martin Luther is talking about uh, what he talks about. He goes in depth a little bit about, you know, um, Jesus, you know, teaching or preaching to the, the prisoners. And then he goes on to talk about baptism and how it saves you, but it, it doesn't actually save you. It doesn't remove the dirt, but it does save you. And that's kind of weird what Peter says. He kind of seems like he almost goes out on a tangent. And that's not what we will be talking about this morning. <laughs> not because we don't have the answers per se, but um, because that's not really what I feel the main theme is here. That's not really what Peter is trying to talk about. So if, if you would like to ask more questions about baptism or if Jesus went to hell and, or how he set the, captives, uh, the prisoners free, then feel free to join our sermon discussion class Sunday school after the service. But throughout the letter, in 1 Peter, he encourages the church to rejoice when they suffer. And, and particularly, he's talking about when they're persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ. Paul, as well, in many of his letters, James, the author of Hebrews, they repeat this sentiment that suffering because of Jesus is not only to be expected, but that it is good and that we should rejoice when we suffer in these ways. And Jesus himself says that those who are persecuted, those who are insulted, those who are reviled because of him, he says, they are blessed. And just as this same message, right, is recurring in all of these apostles and in Christ, 
of rejoicing in Christian suffering. The reason to rejoice, the reason why we should rejoice is also the same. And so I'm going to do a rapid fire of scriptures. Peter says in 1 Peter 1, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuine of your, genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul says in Romans 5, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Hope in what? Hope in Christ. Hope in the end. James says in James chapter 1, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. And Jesus says in Matthew 5, in the great sermon on the mount, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Can you identify the reason why we should rejoice even in the midst of our Christian suffering? It's because our suffering through persecution is actually an indicator of our future glory in Christ at the end of time. We are able to rejoice even when we suffer for righteousness' sake because we know that our suffering will soon pass and we will be glorified with Christ one day. Of course, there are all sorts of suffering. There's suffering that happens to us in many ways that point us to a Savior. But in this particular context, the main idea is that Peter is giving not that we should suffer as Christ suffered. That's not what he's saying. Our suffering isn't on behalf of unrighteous people, right? We're not Jesus, and our suffering leads to the salvation of other people. That's not what Peter's pointing to. Peter's saying in verse 17, For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. He's saying that there will be times, not all the time, but there will be times where you will suffer because of persecution. You will suffer because you are simply living as a faithful follower of Christ. And you are simply doing what God deems as good. And in that case, the world that is wicked and full of sin and broken, the world will oppose you and even persecute you for doing what is good. Because the world hates good. And the world hates righteousness, and the world hates Jesus. John Stott says that persecution is simply the clash between two irreconcilable value systems. The world will never love us as Christians, but they will persecute us because we live a faithful life after Christ. But Peter says... Even if you go through these, these trials, even if you go through this suffering, this persecution, all of these wrongs, right, by other people because you love Jesus. He says, don't lose heart. And he says, do not fear because Christ has also suffered on our behalf. And not only did he suffer, but he has brought us close to God. That through Christ's sufferings, he has brought atonement of sins and he has brought salvation 
for his people. So Peter's not saying, well, okay, be like Jesus and suffer like Jesus and suffer for other people that they may be saved. He's pointing us to Christ and saying, look, look what Jesus did. Jesus suffered and it resulted in our salvation. And the end goal here is that Christ is now glorifying us through himself in the end of time. And so for a moment, the world will persecute you and the world will bring you suffering because you love Jesus. But he says, take heart because look, Jesus has saved us and he will give us eternal glory. We have hope even in our suffering because Christ suffered and was victorious over sin. In her commentary of the first letter of Peter, Karen Jobes, who is a professor of New Testament, she writes, the implication of the connection between verses 17 and 18 is that even if a Christian were to suffer to the point of unjust martyrdom, so even, even if you died for the sake of Christ, such suffering is both purposeful and victorious because death is not the final word. So, if this is all true, if we are to rejoice in our persecutions and, and our suffering, if we are to endure it for a moment so that we can attain right, glory, so that we can attain that crown of life, then why do many of us seem to have a negative perception of persecution? Of course, no one wants to be persecuted. No one wants trouble. No one wants suffering in their life. I met probably no one. I don't know. Maybe some people want suffering. But the Bible says that when suffering comes, when we are persecuted, we are to respond differently than the world responds. Right? The world responds with, with suffering and, and, and bad things against them. They respond with negativity. They respond as if it's the end of the world. They respond with defeat. The Bible clearly tells us that we, we, we as Christians are to respond differently. We're, we're to respond with positivity and joy. So why don't we? It may be, that it may be because we do not hold a full understanding of Christ's victory and our eternal glory with him. It might be that because that glory seems so far away, right? For those who are a little younger, it's, it's, it's going to be a million years away, right? For maybe those who are older, oh, it's going to still be, you know, a couple decades away. Maybe because that glory seems so intangible and so far away that we respond differently. Whether you avoid persecution because you hold too closely to your own comforts or you intentionally seek suffering and persecution because you feel that that might be the more honorable thing to do. Both of these responses, both of these reactions, they come out of and result in trying to glorify the self. Well, I want to be more comfortable. I, I, do, I don't want to have to deal with all these. I don't want to feel bad. It's the glorifying of the self. Or, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to endure this suffering. I'm going to deliberately go out and I'm going to get mocked. And I'm going to have people spit at me because I want to glorify myself. 
it's not whether you avoid it or you try to do it more, right? That, that's not the response. That's not what Peter is talking about here. What Peter is saying is that in both of these approaches to suffering, that there is a sense of our pride and even our own arrogance and our self-glory that drives us in these. Either that my life is too valuable to suffer for Christ, or that I need to show God and other people how good I am and how righteous I am and how right I am and how wrong they are. <coughs> Christ, as well as the apostles, they say that the, the correct attitude, the correct heart, the Christian way to respond to persecution and suffering is by denying yourself. <coughs> Excuse me. The example of how we should approach persecution and suffering is given to us through Noah. He wasn't looking for trouble. He wasn't looking to go around and condemn everyone and say, you're wrong and I'm right and I'm righteous and persecute me and that's why I'm going to go to heaven and you're not. He was a righteous and a just man. And when God told him his plan, Noah was ready. He was ready to submit to God and he was ready to obey him. Even if that meant that he would be persecuted and endure suffering for a time. This decision to not compromise and to live a faithful life before God, it led to his persecution. Persecution from those who did not obey God while the ark was being built. But nowhere in Genesis or anywhere else in the Bible do we see that Noah questioned God or that he tried to avoid his suffering or that he tried to suffer more than God had intended or that he compromised anything in his faith. In fact, Noah in Hebrews 11 is commended for his response to suffering. He's commended for his faith, for trusting in God, for what things that he could not see. And in speaking of those who held to their faith, even through the fiercest persecution and suffering, including Noah, the Hebrew author, he writes, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. And this takes us right back to Peter's encouragement to us when we suffer persecution or wrong because of our faith in Christ. The goal of the Christian life I think some of us need to hear this a little more loudly than others. The goal of the Christian life is not to live as comfortably as we can, nor is it to live as uncomfortably as we can. It is to 
be satisfied in Christ, regardless of what season you're in. It's to be satisfied in Christ. And I, I hope you're, you're kind of putting all these things together, not only the, 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 the word that's being spoken right now, but the first song we sang was, there's a bright side somewhere, right? Just, just hold on, because God is holding on to you, and there will be glory at the end. We're saying our treasure is Christ, and we will be satisfied in him alone. Right? The goal of the Christian life is to be satisfied in Christ. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, whatever step, process, season you are in, so that when we suffer wrongdoings, when we suffer for what is right, when we suffer for our faith in Christ, when others persecute us for living in faith according to God's will, let us be reminded that our suffering is only for a moment. Let us look to a homeland that is not here, but a better country that is a heavenly one. And this momentary suffering is, far, is worth far more than any momentary comfort or pleasure that the world can offer us because our reward at the end of time will be glory and eternal comfort and eternal pleasure with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, forever. It is Christ who suffered and gave everything so that we could be brought near to God. He sees, he knows your trouble. He knows your suffering. He knows the persecution that we will endure. And to this, he says, I will give you the comforter. I will give you my own spirit, the Holy Spirit, that in your trial, in your suffering, in your persecution, he will I will, right? He will strengthen you through the Spirit. So, brothers and sisters, church, let us turn to our Lord and rejoice even in our suffering, even when we are slandered, even when we're mocked, even when we go to work and people, they treat us differently because we're Christian. Let's not try to avoid it. But let's not try to go into it more than we should either. But let us praise God. Let us rejoice that we are able to participate in Christ's suffering, knowing that soon Christ himself will come and restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish us forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we gather this morning to worship and to praise you. You alone are worthy of our worship. And Lord, we gather as we enter into this season of Lent, remembering your suffering on our behalf. We remember, Lord, that you humbled yourself and became a servant. You came to this earth to suffer, to die, to atone our sins. And so, Lord, let us count it as a blessing, as you have told us. Let us rejoice when we suffer 
because of your name. That, Lord, we may look to our heavenly home, that we may look to the glory that you have promised us in eternity. And that, Lord, we may be comforted and that we may be strengthened by your spirit as we endure the trials and the persecution of this world. Lord, as your people, please help us not to compromise our faith and our trust in you in our daily living. But help us, Lord, live in your victory every day that, Lord, the faith you have given us will indeed be perfected by you and that, Lord, we will see you one day and be glorified. And we pray this all in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. To trust even though you are hurt. And in Christ, yes, we, can, we are continually summoned to let the knowledge of the glory of God shine in our hearts until we see the face of Jesus Christ. Yesterday, my mother-in-law, see, you know, when I was at home doing this, it didn't bother me at all. But my mother-in-law, she went home to be with the Lord Saturday morning. I can't say enough about what I think of that, that woman and her and the life that she lived. Nobody knows her. None of you know her. I mean, well, some of you do because she's visited us here at the church before, and she's she's come down. But uh, I mean, she's lived her life in rural America. In rural America, became a Christian as a as a child. Did some things that people thought was crazy. But all of her life, she loved Jesus. Just shy of her 90th birthday, she is seeing Jesus face to face. Yeah. Connie made sure I had a napkin, even though she's not, a handkerchief, even though I'm not here. Even though she's not here, she even texts people to say, hey, make sure Kenny's got a handkerchief. <laughs> nah, nah. She's seeing Jesus face to face. That's why you can't stop. That's why you don't give up. That's why, you, that's why you keep going. It's because you want to see Jesus face to face. What a glory that will be. The hymn writer said, oh, oh, that will be. In verse 3, it says, when by the gift of his infinite grace, I am accorded in heaven a place just to be there and to look on his face will through the ages be glory for me. Oh, that will be glory for me, glory for me, glory for me, when by his grace I shall look on his face. That will be glory, be glory for me. That, that's the sight that we need. J. Trevor Woodham, chief of surgery at Woodham's Eye Clinic, 
writes about people getting their sight. He said, in the case where a person has been severely visually handicapped from childhood, gaining sight is usually not experienced as such a wonderful thing. It's difficult to imagine, but what we see out there is not a passive input of data, but rather a projection onto the world out there of how we have learned to interpret that visual data. Yes, visual performance is more like learning a language. If you have not learned how to see because of some reversible impediment to images entering the eye, by the time you are physically mature, about age 13, you will probably never be able to make sense of all those shapes and colors. Do you know that that's how the eye works, that that's how vision works? Think about this. See, Christ came into the world to show us that we are blind. He helps us to see what is real. And looking through Christ, we begin to project onto the world out there the interpretation of the visual data. Seeing him helps us to see everything else. If you don't see through him, you will never learn how to see. Christ is our miracle worker. At Ann Sullivan's funeral, Bishop Freeman said of her, among the great teachers of all time, she occupies a commanding and conspicuous place. The touch of her hand did more than illuminate the pathway of a, cloud, of a clouded mind. It literally emancipated a soul. Yeah. But think about this. Christ on the cross with his hands stretched out, illuminated the darkness. Darkness could not overcome the light. He illuminated the darkness and became light for us, shining in our hearts. He is, John says, the true light that, that lights every man that comes into the world, emancipating everyone who comes to him by faith. So here's the question. Is the transfiguration of Jesus transforming you? You see, through Christ, you and I can make sense of all these people who are different shapes and colors. So let me tell you what, what happens when, we, when what we proclaim is, is not ourselves. Ethnic divisions and tribalism cease. The African learns to love the European Koreans learn to love black people. The Chinese learn to love Greeks. Japanese learn to love Germans. Guatemalans learn to love Mexicans. Hindis learn to love Pakistanis and, and on and on. Because God is gathering, he is summoning his people from all nations. See, and once you can see, you can never unsee. Once you have sight, you can never go back to being blind. See, that's Paul's experience, and it's the experience of everyone who has been brought to life by grace through faith in Christ. Friends, what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. And may the Lord enable us to live together so transparently that the veil of the perishing is removed and that the view of our proclamation lifts others up as we lower ourselves. And the voice 
summoning projection inspires us to pursue being face to face with Jesus Christ to the end. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, thankful for your word and what it, how it speaks to us. Such great, precious promises and truths, Lord, that are just unbelievable. And thank you for giving us sight through your son, oh Lord. And now that we say that we can see, Father, enable us to help others to see. Help us, Lord, to rescue the perishing, to care for the dying, to snatch them in pity from sin and the grave, to remove the veil that blinds them. Because you, O oh Lord, have conquered the God of this world. And you are our victory. Help us to walk in it. In Jesus' name, amen.